Right now, if you would open your Bibles with me to Psalm 36. Psalm 36. The transgression of the wicked saith within my heart, There is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flattereth himself in his own eyes, until his iniquity be found to be hateful. The words of his mouth are iniquity and deceit. He hath left off to be wise and to do good. He deviseth mischief upon his bed. He setteth himself in a way that is not good. He abhorreth not evil. Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reacheth unto the clouds. Thy righteousness is like the great mountains. Thy judgments are a great deep. O Lord, thou preservest man and beast. How excellent is thy loving kindness, O God. Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of thy wings. They should be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house, and thou shalt make them drink of the river of thy pleasures. For with thee is the fountain of life, and in thy light shall we see light. O continue thy loving kindness unto them that know thee, and thy righteousness to the upright in heart. Let not the foot of pride come against me, and let not the hand of the wicked remove me. For the workers of for there are the workers of iniquity fallen; they are cast down, and shall not be able to rise. Let's bow before our Lord together in prayer. Our Father, we bow before you this evening, coming into your courts and seeking a word from thee. Father, I pray that you would enable us by thy spirit this evening to worship you in spirit and in truth. And Father, that we might be enabled by your spirit, by your mercy, and by your grace to hear a message of Christ our Savior from thee to our ears and to our hearts. Father, enable us to hear the message this evening with the ear of faith and be pointed to Christ our Savior. And Father, I beg of you that you'd cause faith to be mixed with what we hear. Enable us to hear of Christ our Savior and believe on him. Rest in him. Hang the entirety of our soul upon him and him alone. Father, how we thank you for a place that you've given to us where we can meet together and worship in peace and unity. Father, I pray that you would continue to bless us in the future as you have in the past. Don't leave us alone now, we pray. And Father, we how we freely confess you've blessed us beyond all people on the face of the earth. We are still in this flesh a poor and a needy people. Father, we Pray that you'd be with your people, that you brought into the time of trouble and trial. We're thankful that you have said in your word that you remember we're but dust. Father, we pray that you give grace that's sufficient for the hour. We pray that you'd be with our brother Cecil Thornberry and his family in a, in a special way, Father. Be with them. Give calmness and assurance and comfort their hearts. We pray the same blessing for the family of our brother D. Parks, Father, that you'd comfort their hearts of this dark 
dark time as only you can. Again, Father, we beg of you that you would speak to us through your word this evening, that you'd strengthen and edify our souls by the preaching of your word. For it's in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, for his sake and his glory we pray. Amen. All right, now if you would turn back with me to Genesis chapter 36. We're going to continue our study in the book of Genesis this evening. And I did not read my text on purpose because it's 45 verses long and much of it is a genealogy. So we're just going to kind of go through it tonight as, as, uh, as we get there. Now my goal this evening is for us to see the result of two very different genealogies. I've titled, that's why I've titled the message, two very different genealogies. It's the genealogies of Esau and Jacob. Now Jacob and Esau, they're brothers, they're twins, but these are two very different men from the moment of their conception. From the womb, they were diff- very different men. God loved one and hated the other. God chose one, passed the other by. And, at the same time, both of these men are responsible for their actions, too. I can't explain that, only God can make that so. God chose one and passed the other one by. Yet Jacob and Esau are both responsible for their actions. And their actions have very different effects in their genealogies and the people who are their descendants. So first I want us to look at the genealogy of Esau. Esau's genealogy here is 43 verses long. I'm not going to attempt to read all those verses and stumble over all those names, but let me give you a few specific uh, things here that are important lessons being taught to us in the genealogy of Esau. Now you know Esau. The writer to the Hebrews says Esau was a profane man. And the evidence that Esau was a profane man is he sold his birthright for one morsel of meat. He would rather have a bowl of beans than the blessing from God, than the birthright from God, a relationship with God. And Esau represents the natural man, the natural nature of the flesh that's in all of us. Esau represents the natural man that God's left to his own devices, his own will, and his own way. Now, the only thing the natural man cares about is things of the flesh because that's all he knows. He only has a nature of the flesh. That's the only thing he knows about is the flesh. That's why Esau sold his birthright for a bowl of beans. The natural man doesn't know anything about the spirit. He doesn't know anything about spiritual blessings. He doesn't desire them. He doesn't love them. He doesn't know anything about him. Those, those kinds of things because God hadn't given him a spiritual man, a new nature. So, first, this is the first thing I learned from the genealogy of Esau. Esau is of the earth. And that's all Esau ever will be. Verse 1 of Genesis 36. Now these are the generations of Esau, who is Edom. Now Moses says Esau is Edom. He doesn't say he's from Edom. He says he is Edom. says that three times in this one chapter. Verse 1. Verse 8 and verse 19, he says Esau is Edom. Now the word Edom means red, and that represents the flesh. Remember Esau sold his birthright for a bowl 
of red beans. He despised the blessing of God. He despised the grace of God. He despised the promises of God. And he sought after this red stuff, the stuff of the flesh and the stuff of this world. That's all Esau ever did because that's all he knew. Esau despised the promise of God's grace. He rejected the the presence of God. He rejected the leadership of God and and the blessings of God. He rejected those things to go after whatever it is that the world had to offer him. And Esau was damned for it. Esau was a reprobate. God hated Esau from the beginning and Esau didn't care because Esau hated God too. Now this is also true, the man Esau. He's a very admirable man. If you and I knew Jacob and Esau, every person in this room would choose Esau to be our friend. Every one of us would. He's an honest man. He seems to, to have many very admirable characteristics. Jacob didn't really steal the birthright from him. Really, did he? I mean, Esau sold it to him. But he felt like he accused Jacob of stealing it from him and was so mad he wanted to kill his twin brother for it. But when, when Jacob came back years later, Esau ran to kiss him. Not ran run to stab him with his sword. You know, he ran, he forgave Jacob. He found it in his heart to still love Jacob, even though Jacob cheated him out of that birthright. He acted kind and caring toward, toward his brother. A little while later, you, you find out that these two brothers, they both have become so rich with animals and, and different things. Just like Abraham and Lot, they couldn't live together. Just, the land could not support them. Esau didn't pick a fight. Esau didn't say, you know, I'm the older one. I get the... Esau just left it to Jacob. I mean, you know, he seems to be a, a, a honest, you know, is what we would say, good man. He's liked by people that, that knew him. But God hated Esau. Esau was a reprobate because salvation is by God's grace, not our works, not our merits, not our personality. Salvation is by grace. Now, I said all that about Esau to say this. Esau represents the nature of flesh that's in every last one of us. We have this very same nature of flesh. Even a believer does. We still, the, the, when God, when we're regenerated, we're born again, we still have that nature of flesh that's unchanged. It's the nature that Esau had. And that's the nature that God hates. He hates that nature of the flesh. And if Almighty God leaves us to our way, to our will, to our decisions, to what we want, we'll be deemed. The same way Esau was. All right, here's the second thing about Esau. And this is generally true of everybody. Esau got what he wanted. Typically speaking, people get what they want because they just go after it until they get it. Esau got what he wanted. Remember when he found out that uh, his father Isaac had blessed Jacob? He said, well, Father, don't you have a blessing for me too? Just give me any blessing, some blessing. And Isaac blessed him with physical things. He gave Jacob all the spiritual blessings, didn't he? But he, he gave Esau and his blessing material things and that's what Esau wanted Esau was satisfied with that because that's what he wanted Esau ended up with a very large very wealthy very successful family his genealogy takes up 43 verses I mean, that's a lot of people 
and they're all seem to be successful and rich and just eight kings and 32 dukes came from Esau, mentioned in, in this one chapter. Esau got what he wanted. He got the blessing of material things. That's what he wanted. That's the blessing he wanted from his father. And that's what he was going after. And he got it. Now, hold your finger there. Look over 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to be very careful that you know nobody thinks I'm just uh, hating on Esau here. I point all this out because remember, this is the nature that's in all of us. If we're honest with ourselves, all of us would say, you know, I, I really would like to be a, a you know a very successful person, a very rich person, a very you know you drive by these houses people build today, you think, my goodness, how does somebody pay for all that? You think I would, I'd like to do, you know, you think that I'd like. Be careful now. Be careful that you don't start chasing it. Esau got what he wanted. And in the process, he missed Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised have God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. Now just be careful. Going after the things of this world. I'm out. You, you know this. Now I, I don't want y'all to take a vow of poverty. I, I hope you're successful and have a nice comfortable home and nice thing. I mean, you know, but just be careful that you don't chase those things so much. That you become so high and mighty, you don't need God. I mean, this is a scary thing. God blessed Esau with so much, so many riches, so many physical blessings that Esau felt like, I've got to leave the land of promise. He knew he was living in the land promised by God to his father and grandfather. He got so much material stuff he felt like he could leave the land of promise. God gave so much material blessings to Esau. It pushed Esau away from God. I've seen that happen today and you have too. Esau knew about the promise of God. Same way Jacob did. But Esau left the land anyway. He thought he was so blessed of God. He didn't need God anymore. Look at verse 6 back in our text. Genesis 36. And Esau took his wives and his sons and his daughters and all the persons of his house and his cattle and all the, his beasts and all his substance, which he had gotten in the land of Canaan, and went into the country from the face of his brother Jacob. For their riches were more than that they might dwell together. And the land wherein they were strangers could not bear them because of their cattle. Esau left the land of God's promise because God had promoted him out of it. He became so important and so rich, he didn't think he needed God. Now, let me ask you a question. Remember, I'm not just trying to say, look how bad Esau is. This is the nature that's in all of us. Now, you answer this question in your own heart. Have we taught our children, by example, that we really don't need to be 
in the public worship service because there's other things that are more important. Have we taught our children that the most important thing in every week is the blessing to go hear from God? To go hear the gospel. Have we taught them that? Or have we taught them, eh, if there's something else going on, you should go do that first, you know? Have we taught our children? We might say the right words. We might say the right words. I mean, you know, we got the right doctor. We got the doctor down cold, don't we? But by our example, have we taught our children we need things of this life first more than we need to hear from God? Have we taught them that by, by our example? Have we taught them we need to get stuff from this world to be our security more than we need God's saving grace? Have we? I thought a lot about that this week. My firstborn is here visiting with me this week. She's working in town visiting me this week. I thought a lot about that. I sure hope not. I sure hope not. That was very important to me and your mama. That brings me to my third point. Esau's children were taught to be just like Esau. Esau had a large family. Eight kings, 32 dukes. I mean a large, successful family. And there is no record that one of them ever sought mercy and forgiveness from God. Not No record of one. Now, there might be, but there's not record of one. There's no record of any of the descendants of Esau ever worshiping God. Ever. Of all this large, powerful family, only two accomplishments, this is so interesting to me, only two of their accomplishments are listed in the word of God. One of them is in verse 35. A man named Hadad won a military battle against the Midianites. And in verse 24, a man named Anna found mules in the wilderness. Now, how would you like that to be recorded as the accomplishment Something you did, the, you know, the accomplishment of your life. You found some mules in the wilderness. Anna was keeping donkeys, his father's donkeys. That's what he was doing. And he found these mules. I noticed Anna wasn't keeping sheep like Jacob was as a type of Christ. He wasn't, he wasn't keeping sheep like Joseph did, who's a type of Christ. He was keeping donkeys. And while he was out there, he just so happened to find some mules out in the wilderness. And apparently this was a big deal. But you know what a mule is, don't you? It's the offspring of a donkey and a horse. And that mule is sterile. A mule can't produce life. That mule is a picture of man's religion trying to mix grace and works. It's a mule. It's a stubborn mule that cannot produce life. And that's all scripture says that the descendants of Esau accomplished in their lifetime. They won a military battle and they found some mules. But you know what? I'm not surprised. That's all they could accomplish. Because that's all the flesh can accomplish. And that's all the flesh is trying to accomplish. Our flesh, the nature of our flesh will never Decide to seek God and seek mercy. Never. Because it's incapable. It cannot do it. 
The nature of the flesh can only do fleshly things. It can never do spiritual things. That's why our Lord told the Pharisees, two things are true. You will not come unto me that you might have life. And you cannot. You cannot because the nature of the flesh cannot do it. And maybe Esau was just kind of, you know, um, indifferent to Jacob and indifferent to Jacob's family. It just, you know, he didn't hate him anymore, but just, you know, apparently he wasn't seeking to, to worship with him or find out anything about God from him, you know. He's just indifferent. Just indifferent. He just went from Jacob's face to go to a land where, you know, could, could support him and his large successful family. And he was just indifferent. But you know, as time went on, what happened? Esau's descendants went from indifferent to hatred. They became hateful of Israel. They became hateful of the descendants of Jacob. When Israel left Egypt, you know the very first people to ever attack them? The descendants of Esau. Indifference in one generation grows to hatred in another. I go back to what we've taught our children, not by our words. I know everybody here, you you hadn't told your children being different to God. I know I know better than that. But what have we taught by our example? I'm telling you, be mighty, 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 mighty careful. Indifference in this generation is going to lead to hatred in the next. Unless God's merciful, that's what will happen. Now here's the fourth thing, and I think this is also very important. That's what we know about Esau, about the descendants of Esau, about the nature of Esau, about the nature of the flesh. Well, you know what else is true? It's my fourth point. Esau was still Jacob's brother. Now, that's all true. Everything I said about Esau is true, but he's still Jacob's brother, isn't he? You know, don't ever forget this. The unbelievers out there in the world, Let's not just start thinking how high and mighty we are and, and start looking down our nose at them. Let's not forget we're related to them. <laughs> They're related to us. Now, don't forget that. Brother Scott Richardson, if you're of a certain age, you remember Brother Scott. And uh, if you knew him, you loved him. Brother Scott had a habit to call almost everybody he met brother. Brother, just... The guy down at the grocery store, the guy down at the filling station, whatever. He just, you know, it, his brother's at church. Everybody call everybody brother. Somebody asked him about one time. And Scott said, well, they're my brother. They're either my brother in Christ or my brother in Adam. Either way, I got them. They're my brother. That's good advice. And if you hung around Scott very much, you know what? I thought about that. I thought about this this week too. He treated them that way. He treated people like they were his brother. He, he cared about them. He wanted them. If it was if it was his brother and Adam down there at the filling station, Scott wanted that man to come hear him preach. He did. He cared about them because he. Let's remember that. Let's pray for our brethren. They're out there in the flesh with the same nature of flesh, just like we got. Now, who made you different? Huh? God did, didn't he? You know, let's be, let's strive.
to be kind and understanding to unbelievers in the world. I know they do crazy stuff, but we ought to understand why they do it because we're related to them, huh? Let's find an opportunity to preach Christ to them, to invite them to come hear the gospel. It's the kindest thing we could ever do to them or do for them because if God leaves them alone, going to perish just like he saw. Same way we would have done if God had left us alone. Alright, that's the generation, of the, the, the genealogy of Esau. Now I got something that's going to be a blessing to you. Now I wanted to look at the genealogy of Jacob. This is the man God chose and the man God loved. Here is the genealogy of uh, Jacob. I'm going to read it all. I couldn't read, I'm not going to read all 43 verses of, uh, of Esau's genealogy. I'm going to read the entire genealogy of Jacob. Verse, chapter 37, verse 1. And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. These are the generations, the genealogy of Jacob. Joseph. Joseph. End of story. Now, isn't that funny? We know Jacob had, had 12 sons. He had daughters. He had grandchildren. But when Moses lists the genealogy of Jacob, he says, Joseph. Joseph. The most important thing to Jacob is Joseph. The genealogy of Jacob is the story of Joseph. The genealogy, I told you I was going to read every word of it. Really, I'm not. not going to tonight. The genealogy of Jacob goes from chapter 37 to the end of Genesis. It's the story of Joseph. That's his genealogy. That's the generations of Jacob. And this is given to us as a type of Christ. Joseph is one of the preeminent pictures of Christ in the Old Testament. And here's the picture for the believer. This is what Joseph tells us. Jacob's genealogy is Joseph. The story of Joseph tells you and me this. For the believer, Christ is all. Here's our hope, Christ. Here's our salvation, Christ. Here's our righteousness, Christ. Here's our sanctification, Christ. Here's our doctrine, Christ. Christ is all. He's all that matters. The only thing that matters to us is the story of the Lord Jesus Christ that takes up the whole Bible. That's it. These are the generations of a believer. Christ. Now we have other relationships. But Christ is all. Christ is the relationship I must have. We have other needs. Physical needs. Mental needs. Emotional needs. We do. You know we want to, to have those things met. But Christ is all. Christ is the person I must have. He is that one thing needful. One thing. We have other things to enjoy. Aren't you thankful God's given us other things in this life to enjoy? I'm thankful for them. But Christ is all. All that thrills my soul is Jesus. He's more than life to me. He is what I must have. Now, Arthur Pink, who wrote several commentaries in Scripture, this man, he must have been a prodigious studier 
He is a prodigious writer. The things that he wrote and the man must have had a brilliant mind. I mean, just, uh, this guy is just off the charts. Half time, I don't understand what he's writing. <laughs> I had to read it several times before I understand what the man's saying. In his commentary on the book of Genesis, he gave 101 pictures of Christ that are seen in Joseph. 101! Well, we'll spend the next few Wednesdays looking at a lot of those things, looking at the life of Joseph, seeing various pictures of Christ there. But I want to give you a little preview of what's coming. And I want us to see, for tonight's message, this is what I want us to see. I want us to see how Christ is your believer, your genealogy is Christ. Let me give you a few examples. Everybody knows the story of Joseph. Joseph was Jacob's favorite son. I mean, there's no comparison to his other sons. And you, you read that and you just, you understand why the, why the other brothers hated him, don't you? Of course they did. I mean, this was a horrible parenting on, on Jacob's part. But he just made it obvious. He loved Joseph more than the rest of you boys. He just did. I mean, and he made no bones about it. Now, Jacob was wrong to do that. But in that way, boy, he sure gave us a good picture of Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's the beloved. He's the delight of his Father. The Father loves the Son with a love. That, that is eternal, that is incomprehensible. The human mind can't begin to scratch the surface of God's love for his son. Now, if you and I come to the Father in Christ, we will be loved and as accepted as the Son of God himself. Now, the Father will never accept us for our works, but he'll accept us in his favorite son in, in Christ will be loved and accepted of the Father. That's how much the Father loves the Son. And Joseph was a shepherd. He kept his father's sheep. That was his, his job. But the Lord Jesus Christ, he's the great shepherd of the sheep. He keeps his father's sheep. And he saves every last one of his father's sheep. Christ is the good shepherd. The Savior told us he's the good shepherd. Here's how you can tell he's the good shepherd. He gives his life for the sheep. Christ is the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. Nobody took it from him. Nobody overpowered him. He laid it down for his sheep that they might have eternal life. Now remember, our genealogy is Christ. If Christ is our shepherd, we must be saved. He laid down his life for us. We must be saved and we can never perish. That's our genealogy. That's our description. Then Joseph was a man of impeccable character. He was obedient to his father. I can't think of, and I haven't read every word of this, and just thinking about it, I cannot think of a single sin that is recorded that Joseph did. I mean, I know the man's sin. What I'm saying is, it's not recorded in Scripture. And the reason for that has to be to give us a picture of Christ. The, the perfect, holy character and nature of Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ was perfectly obedient 
to his father. He obeyed God's law perfectly. And he did everything that the father commanded him to do. Everything. Part of what the father commanded him to do was to establish perfect righteousness for his people. Then be made sin for his people and suffer and die to put it away. The Lord Jesus was obedient even unto death. That's how strong his need was to please his father. He laid down his life to satisfy God's holy justice against the sin of his people. The Lord Jesus Christ is righteous. That's his nature. He is righteous. He's holy. He cannot sin and he never did sin. And he established eternal righteousness for his people. Now remember, if you're a believer, Christ is our genealogy. If Christ is the only righteousness that you have, you're righteous. If Christ is all you have, you have everything. And you always be accepted by the Holy Father. Then poor old Joseph despite the fact that he didn't do anything wrong, was sold into slavery. Sold into slavery by the brothers that hated him. He came to them out there in the wilderness being obedient to his father. He came to them because he cared about their well-being and they hated him so much they sold him into slavery. Well, that's such a clear picture of Christ our Savior. He became a servant. He's equal with the father, isn't he? But he humbled himself to become a servant to his father to accomplish his father's will of the redemption of his people. The king of glory actually became a servant even to his people. Remember when he girded himself with the towel and washed the disciples' feet? That's the lowest job. That's the lowest the servant that would have to do that job. The king of glory did that for his, washed the feet of his disciples. And he told them, now you've seen what I've done. You do that for each other. You take the lowest place to help each other. The point is he became a servant even to his people. He went to work as a servant. The bond servant. He said I I willingly bored my ear. The willing bond servant to his father to provide everything his people would need. Now remember Christ is our genealogy. If the Lord Jesus Christ became a servant for you you have everything God will ever require of you. Then Joseph, again, even though he didn't do anything wrong, was thrown into prison for crimes he did not commit. Down there in the prison, numbered with the transgressors, wasn't he? Well, that's a picture of Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ was crucified for sins he did not commit. He died for the sins of his people that were laid on him. Now remember, if you're a believer, this is your genealogy is Christ. Period. If Christ was taken and he was crucified for you, God's law says you must live. You must be given eternal life. God will see to it that you're given eternal life because Christ the substitute already died the death that you deserve. Then Joseph was the revealer of secrets. Joseph could tell the, the hidden meaning of dreams. Well, again, that's, that's Christ. He knows the hidden secret will 
of the Father. And you know how that will is revealed to you and me? Look to Christ. He came to reveal the Father's will by coming and accomplishing the salvation of his people. Now, if you know Christ, if your genealogy is Christ, you know this. The only reason you know him, the only reason you know, how can God be just and still justify a sinner like me? How can God make me clean? How can God bring a clean thing out of an unclean? How is that possible? If you know the answer to that, you know this. It's only because Christ has been pleased to reveal it to you. You could never have figured it out on your own. (laughs) Christ had to come and reveal it to you. If you know anything at all about how God saves sinners, you know why you know that? It's because Christ taught you. He taught you. He revealed it to you. Then Joseph, in the blink of an eye, was exalted from prison to the throne of Egypt. Now that's a picture of Christ. He suffered. and He died. He went to the tomb, didn't he? But because his death satisfied the Father's justice against the sin of his people that was laid on him, the Lord Jesus Christ is exalted on high. The Father, when he came back to glory, said, sit here on my right hand. I make your enemies your footstool. Now remember, if you're a believer, our genealogy is Christ. If Christ died for you, you have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. You don't want to sin. You hate sin. You're going to try everything in this world you can do not to sin. And when you do, this is your genealogy. You have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. If Christ died for you, You know what he's doing at this very moment? I mean, at this very moment, he's ever living to make intercession for you. We're so sinful, the Savior needs to make intercession for us right now when we're here in the worship service with God's word in our lap, (laughs) trying to learn about him. (laughs) We make a mess of it. But our genealogy is our Savior is ever living making intercession for us. And this is what I can promise you. If the Son of God is making intercession for you, you're forgiven. And you'll never be cast out. Then Joseph is the one who opened the storehouses. In a time of famine, when that time of famine hit, Joseph opened the storehouses. So everybody wouldn't starve to death. Well, that's Christ. He opens the storehouses of God's grace for his people. I'm telling you, if you want access to the storehouse of God's mercy and grace, you've got to find somebody preaching Christ. Because that's where they're opened. Christ opened those storehouses by earning the right to do it. By his substitutionary death for his people, he earned the right to have the key to the storehouses of all of God's grace for his people. And Christ freely opens the storehouses so his people can eat the bread of life. See, Christ is the one who opens the storehouses and he's the one we feed on when the storehouse is open. Christ is all. Now, if you believe on Christ, does hearing him preach, does that feed your soul? I tell you, if it does, the only reason it is, the Lord Jesus Christ has opened the storehouses of God's grace for you. Now, you know the picture is never as good as the real thing. 
We'll see this when we get there. When Joseph opened those storehouses, he sold to people. He ended up really enriching Pharaoh. When Christ opens the storehouses of God's grace, he says, come eat freely. Without money and without price. Come have it freely. And then this is an amazing truth of God's grace. When Joseph's brothers finally came to Joseph, they didn't recognize him. Here's this man who's got their life in his hand. It's the one they wanted to kill, but they decided to sell him to slavery. You know what Joseph did with those his brothers? He forgave them. He forgave them. The Lord Jesus Christ has forgiven the sin of his people. And you know how he did it? He didn't take out his royal pen and just say, we'll forget about this. This debt's here, we'll just forget about it. He didn't do like our president does and sign a pardon and let somebody out of prison. Everybody knows he's guilty. You know what Christ did to forgive the sin of his people? He paid the debt himself with his own precious blood. That sin that was so hatefully committed against him, he forgives it by suffering and dying to put it away. Now if you trust Christ, that's your genealogy. The story of your life the story of your eternity is Christ. That's a mighty good legacy. Isn't that a mighty good legacy? I pray God be merciful to give it to us. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, how we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. How we thank you for the gospel of Christ our Savior. It would be too good to be true if it wasn't a, in your word. If it wasn't a message from you to the hearts of your people. Father, how we thank you. And Father, we say with our beloved brother Paul, it is our heart's desire not to be found in our own righteousness, which is of the law, but that we might be found in Christ. That you might see us and hear us only in Christ our Savior. Fathers, in his precious name, for his glory, we pray. Amen. All right. Jonathan, come lead us in a closing hymn, if you will.